part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You can open your Bibles to John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. We started last week uh, really talking about missions, about witnessing, about uh, telling this world about Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to continue that for a couple weeks. Next week I'm going to spend a little bit more time of how do we actually do that here at the church and and through this body of believers. And we're going to talk about how we can uh, participate in uh, things like ISERV and different things like that. Some of the new things that we're doing uh, even this next year. But it's pretty amazing when we find out that God has put upon us this uh, opportunity, but also this responsibility to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And you talk to most Christians about that, and it's very intimidating. It's one of those things that uh, people say, hey, I love Jesus. I'm so glad for what he's done for me in my life. But they get intimidated about this whole witnessing thing because they uh, usually will list two different things. Number one, they said, okay, I don't have all the answers. If somebody asks me a question, I don't know that I could really be able to give them really good biblical answers. And I understand that, guys. But, but I promise you, one of the most successful things about going to, to seminary is that you would graduate knowing that there's more that you'll never know than what you do know. You just come out going, my goodness, this is, you know, God is so much bigger than I could ever imagine. It's the guys that come out of seminary that go, hey, I think I have it all down now. Those guys I worry about, okay? Because somehow they think that they've really kind of captured this majesty of God. So I promise you that that is a common occurrence among most believers. That one reason why we don't share our faith or going out there to tell others about Christ, because if we kind of bring up that whole subject, we really are kind of afraid that maybe they're going to ask back and say, well, what do you think about this? And we're just not going to have the answer. The other part of it that I think is really kind of one of those uh, things that is maybe more of a current of the last 25, 30, 40, 50 years is that we really have this notion that we're not supposed to impose our beliefs among other people, upon other people. That somehow, that, okay, I can believe this, you can believe that, but we're kind of in this culture where it's not really my responsibility, it's not really right or kind for me to kind of tell you what I believe. Folks, that's just not biblical. I mean, I kind of get the whole thing, that you have to take the time and the place, but we are commanded to go, we're sent to go tell about Christ. And so one of the things that just doesn't fly with Scripture, we may make a, a social cage, case or a cultural case that, okay, you know, you have your beliefs, I have my beliefs, this is something that we have to keep off of Facebook, and we have to keep it off of this and off of that. I get the whole thing. I mean, in the last six months, the whole political thing has made something like, you know, that was enjoyable before Facebook where you keep up with friends. Kind of sometimes it's very heavy to, to turn on sometimes because you're just going, man, I, I really didn't want these people fighting back and forth. And sometimes we lump our uh, beliefs about Christ in there with our politics and, and kind of say, okay, you know, they don't want to hear about my politics. They certainly don't want to hear about my religion. And so this morning we can say, okay, what does the Bible say? Is it fair game that if we're doing life with people and we have relationships with people, family members, co-workers, people that we just do life with, are we really supposed to share with them the good news of the gospel? I'll tell you the answer right up front and then we'll kind of get there. The answer is yes. The Bible said to go and he tells us to tell, he sends us out to share our story. 
I get the whole thing. Hey, what if I don't have the right answer? I, I promise you, every pastor has that fear also. I, I understand the whole thing about, okay, where do we draw the line in a business situation among family members? I mean, I, I know some families that if you even start to bring up the whole thing about what you believe spiritually, they just kind of put up a wall. I get that. I really do understand that. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story out of a true account, out of John chapter 4, uh, about one of the ladies in the, in the Bible that even if you haven't gone to church a long time, you've probably heard about her, the woman at the well. How many of you have heard about the woman at the well? Maybe that you don't know a whole bunch, but you've heard about the woman at the well. It's an interesting story. She starts off with a very sketchy past. She's living a very sketchy life. And yet, in the story, in the account that we have of her in the Gospel of John, she becomes one of the first evangelists in the New Testament. It's an amazing story. And it doesn't, you know, she didn't go off to seminary. She didn't, you know, go home and and begin to, uh, you know, study and do all these different things. She simply did one thing, and she st- shared her story about what Christ did for her. And, and I want you to get that in your mind this morning, that the best witness, what really people want to know and see and hear is what's happened in your own life. The best witness is not the guy that can just spout off 14 theological truths or 20 verses in an outline. You know what the best witness is? I have found a transformed life especially a transformed life that when your life is kind of going through more the valley than it is the high points, and they see a rock there. They see not you as a rock, but they see that you have a rock in your life, Christ Jesus, that here you should really kind of crash and burn. You're going through something so heavy that a lot of people would just kind of fold under, and yet they see a strength or a hope in you, and that's what Christ wants us to share, is a transformed life through the transformation of Jesus Christ. We started last week in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And, and basically, that's what he's called us to be as a witness, even more so than an evangelist, is a witness. And, and so what does a witness do? A witness simply tells the truth about what happened to you. If I called you into court to be a witness over an accident that you saw, all you've got to do is say, okay, the blue car was coming, it ran the red light, hit the white car, and this is what happened. You, you don't have to have a lot of theology behind that. You don't have to have, okay, you know, this was a car and, you know, all these other thoughts and, you know, details that were there. You just said, hey, the blue car went through the stop the light, hit the white car. That's my testimony. That would be a witness. And that's really what God calls us to do. That's what he sends us out to do. Uh, nothing very theologically profound, even though I love theology, and there's a time and place for theology. But most people, if you're just talking to somebody who, who maybe doesn't go to church, maybe they don't have a church background, a lot of people just don't want to sit down and talk deep theology with you. And, and so to think that you have to be this theological scholar, really most people are not looking for that. What they're looking for is sincerity, authenticity, and a transformed life. Open up to John chapter 4. John gives us a fairly detailed picture of this scene. Uh, we believe very strongly that he was there, that uh, as one of the disciples, that he's recounting this from actually seeing it. Jesus is traveling from um, uh, Judea, and he is going, and he's going to travel from Judea to Galilee. And if you looked at a map, Judea is down here, Galilee is up here, 
And, and there's three different ways you can go. You can kind of go to the west, you can go to the east, or you can go straight through. Most Jewish people went east or west so that they could go around this area called Samaria. Why? Because they didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans, not trying to be offensive here, were looked at as half-breeds. That's actually what they would call them because they were kind of partly Jewish. They had a little bit of Jewish blood, but they had a lot of Gentile blood. And if you go back long enough, you'll find that the Assyrians were in there. There's this long history. But basically, the Samaritans were like Jewish wannabes in some respects, but then in other ways, they were completely Gentile. And so the Jewish people looked upon them, and they really were offended by them. They saw them as not true followers of God. They saw them offensive in their culture, in the way that they did things culturally. So most of the time, the Jews, if they had to go from Judea to Galilee, would go around Samaria. Jesus didn't. He goes right through. He goes right through the middle, knowing that he's going to come in contact with different Samaritans. And as he does this, he comes upon a woman, a Samaritan woman, and she's going out to get her daily water. Uh, The Bible tells us that uh, it gives us a time frame that it was the sixth hour. If that was Jewish time, that's noon. If, if that's talking about Roman time and we don't know, then it would have been six in the evening. I personally believe it was noon. That John's kind of coming from the perspective, from a Jewish perspective, at least in this account, and that she is going to get water, heavy water, midday. Now, what do you know about Israel and that kind of land? A cool, temperate place? Or it can be a little bit hot? Okay, a little bit hot. Most people, guess when they went to go get water? When, when do you think most of the ladies went to it? Because it was one of those things that the ladies, for the most part, went to go get the, the water with the children. When do you think that they went to go get water? Early in the morning. In the cool of the morning, they would get the day's supply, then they would be done with it. And it really was a social thing. It was their time to hang out with the other ladies. And so they would go, they would get the water, they would talk all the way there, they would get that, they would discuss things all the way back. It was very much the social time. This lady was not a part of it. Why? We'll find out a little bit later that she has that sketchy past. She had had five husbands, and the guy that she was with right now was not her husband. And so it was one of those things that, you know, it doesn't tell us, you know, how all the ladies felt about her, but she was not really accepted in that Role because they were going, okay, you had five, maybe my husband's number six. And so you can just imagine that they're kind of protective, they're very judgmental, and this lady is just out there by herself. She comes at the hottest part of the day to do a job that is not fun, but at least the other ladies had made it a social event. It was not a social event for her. It was a reminder of who she was deep down inside. I'm an outcast. I don't belong with everybody else. And and that's the setting of this. John chapter 4, verse 9. Jesus comes up and and, and, uh, he begins to pursue this woman who's really kind of hiding from everybody in society. And the woman, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. He comes up and he comes to what we call Jacob's well. You can go to the Old Testament and it was a well that was well known. This is where people got their water from. There's not, you know, running water at a lot of different places. You had to travel a mile, two miles sometimes to go get water. They went out there. They come to this place. She's there to to get water. Jesus is there. He's making this track from Judea to Galilee. 
He's tired. The Bible says that he's tired. He's hot. Why? Because it's Israel and it's noon. And he's traveling. And he's thirsty. And she comes up. He says, can you get me something to drink? Please don't hear that in some type of an authoritative man kind of, hey, woman, can you go get me a drink? That's not what's going on here. Please don't let that part in your mind. She's surprised that he would even address her because it was kind of just culturally not acceptable for women and men to really talk that much in public to begin with, but especially a Jewish man to a Samaritan, even more so a Jewish rabbi. And that's what Jesus was known. He was known as a teacher. And so this was just shocking to her, as it would be the disciples when they come back. They'd gone into town to get some food. Jesus is there all by himself. And when they come back, they're shocked that he's talking with this woman. He asked for a drink. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And that made it seems like it's in code there a little bit. Can you give me a drink? Why are you asking me for a drink? He says, well, if you really knew who I was, let, let me paraphrase it just a little bit. If you really knew who I was, you would want a drink from me. I actually have something to offer you that, that you know, goes beyond what you can get in this well. Now, Jesus is not being mean, folks. He's not being condescending. He's acknowledging the fact that, dear woman, you have no knowledge that the one that created you is sitting right in front of you. I mean, the Bible says that nothing was created that Christ did not create. And the creator of her soul, the creator of her, is right there before her. He said, you don't have any understanding. She would get more and more of that understanding. And so he's beginning to introduce not deep theology. He just says, look, I've come here and, and I'm pursuing you with a purpose. She begins to say, okay, you need a drink. Why are you even here at this well? You don't have a bucket. You don't have this. You didn't come equipped, ready for it. Look what happens in verse 15. He offers her this life or this living water. And uh, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. He asked for a drink. She's kind of surprised that he would even ask. He comes back and says, You don't really know who I am. If you knew the full picture, you would probably be asking me for water because I can give you living water. And she says, Living water? He says, yeah, water so you'll never have to drink again. She goes, sign me up. But here's the problem. Even though she begins to anticipate that this is a special man, this is a spiritual man, this is a religious man, this is somebody that's kind of not the normal guy walking through, she's interested in this living water. But folks, it seems by all appearances that she wants from Jesus what a lot of us kind of wanted for Jesus, an easier life. Because look what she says. You know, can you give me this living water? Because I basically, if I get this living water, I never have to drink again. I don't have to walk this walk of shame every day. Can you imagine how it felt? I mean, let's just be honest. Do you think the other ladies, as they came back from getting water from the well, with their group and all the kids laughing and playing together, and then this lone woman goes out to get her water all by herself. 
do you think the other ladies ever said anything? Do you think they ever snickered? Do you think they ever mumbled? Do you think they ever pointed? This was a reminder every single day of her life. Some of you can relate to that because sometimes that's what it feels like. Every single day you get a reminder of something that happened years ago that tries to, to, to say this is who you are. She, she knows who she is. She's trying to hide it. She's, she's not trying to blend in with everybody. She comes at the hottest part of the day so that she doesn't have to, to meet other faces. And yet every day I believe that this was, let's say it was a half a mile. It probably seemed like it was five miles. Because it was an everyday reminder of where she was and who she was, or at least what others thought about her. So she says, yeah, you can give me water. <laughs> Living water, I'll never have to come back and do this walk of shame. Sign me up. Verse 16. Jesus, it, it, this seems so cruel. <laughs> Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, if you've heard this story before, you, you know that this is the dilemma for her, isn't it? Because she's not married. She's had five husbands, but the one that she's re- with right now is, is not her husband. And so this guy who's offering living water, this seems like a very good deal. It seems like something that she would be all about. All of a sudden, he throws in this kind of obstacle, and it really looks like Jesus is kind of being judgmental there. I mean, because does Jesus know the past of this woman? Even though, remember, he's God, God in the flesh. And yes, he did put some self-limitations when he took on flesh, but I think that he knew everything about this woman because we're about, he's, he's about to spell it out. And yet, even knowing that she had five husbands, the one that she was with right now was not her husband, what does he ask? Hey, go get your husband. Verse 17 and 18. The woman answered him, I have no husband, and Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you have now have is not your husband. What you said is true. Now, now I want you to imagine how she's feeling right now. <laughs> she's already had this walk of shame. She had to do it all by herself. This guy comes up, offers her living water, maybe a way out of this difficult situations she finds herself, maybe a new start on life. Hey, I don't have to do this walk of shame every day. I can start new and fresh. I can have living water. And then it's almost like he pulls the rug out from underneath her. It's a little bit of hope, not even understanding all that it is. And then he says, but first go get your husband. Knowing then that he's the one. She doesn't say, oh, I've had five husbands and... and The guy that I'm with now is not even my husband. She's not the one that says it. Jesus says it. But here's the thing, guys. Was that mean-spirited? Was it judgmental? Or was it instrumental of her seeing what a real need was? It's an amazing thing about what we do with our spirituality. Guys, we may think that we're really deep, but we are really surface people. As long as the surface is kind of palatable and good, for the most part, we're happy. 
even sometimes when the heart is breaking and I'm troubled in the soul. That's why so oftentimes, instead of pursuing holiness, we pursue happiness. Because at least we can feel good for a little while. Maybe it will numb the reality of some of these other difficult things in our lives. That's where this woman is. And yet Christ comes out and he kind of just puts the spotlight on her and says, yeah, you said right. You, you told the truth. You don't have a husband. But you have had five before. But he doesn't say so in a way just to bring her down. What Christ was doing is, is kind of getting those top layers off. So he said, look, you have a deeper need than just some water. You have a dip, deeper need than just not making this walk of shame every day. You have a deeper need that you really need somebody in your life to give you an answer and a fresh new start. Jesus says two things in his response to her. Number one, as she begins to, uh, to talk about all these different things, she, uh, she kind of comes back and begins to talk theology of all things. Now, she's not a theological scholar, but if you look in the verses that follow, she begins to talk about worship. He says that, you know, the spiritual thing, and so she kind of comes back with some spiritual talk. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? It, it happens a lot when you're a pastor. I could be playing golf. I'll never forget the time I was playing with golf. Uh, we had a twosome, they had twosome, so we, they put us together. And it wasn't about the fourth hole that he found out that I was a pastor. And uh, he'd been quite colorful up to that point. And, uh, and it was amazing. From like the fifth hole on, he started throwing in just different little biblical things. Half of them weren't even biblical. But he thought that they were biblical. Because all of a sudden, it's like that was the framework that he had to relate in. Oh, you're a pastor. He was kind of embarrassed. And so all of a sudden, he just had to start saying, yeah, you know, my grandmother used to go to church. And, you know, just little things like that that he'd kind of throw in. You've probably had that same occasion if you've ever shared with somebody and kind of caught him off guard that all of a sudden they got to talk spiritual because you were talking spiritual. That's what this woman does. So she starts talking about the Samaritan worship and the Jewish worship. She starts talking about the, the temple that they had on a mountain and the one that was in Jerusalem. And she says, basically, you Jewish people think that... Yours is the best temple. We kind of think that ours is the best temple. Where's the best temple to go worship? She has a theological discussion with Jesus because she's kind of embarrassed. She's trying to hide a real need. Jesus says two things in response, guys. Believe it or not, he minimizes the place of worship and he maximizes the person of worship. I, I can sincerely say I can sincerely say, my aim, as much as I would love to see our church, you know, make great impact in this community, if there was somebody that wasn't going to church and, and wasn't identifying with Christ, was not desiring to follow Christ in their life, and they want to do it at this church, that church, or another church, praise God. Now, guys, it's not about having the biggest church. It's not about, you know, how many can we get in here and how big can we grow. No, we're to make impact in the community and grow the kingdom not grow a kingdom unto ourselves. And that's basically what Jesus came back and said. He said, look, you're trying to talk about what temple to go to? Like what church to go to? Oh, you're Baptist? No, I'm Methodist. No, I'm Presbyterian. No, I'm charismatic. He said, guys, you're getting off and you're starting to look at the form instead of the person. And he brings her back to the reality that it's all about him. Verse 23. The hour is coming and now is here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Basically, he said, look, it doesn't matter if you're in church or if you're not. He said, it's a matter of the heart. Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And the woman, then look what happens in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes... He, he will tell us all these things. In other words, she comes back. She, she's starting to see that this guy is not just another rabbi. Could you be the Messiah? Could you be the Christ? You seem to have really the right answers here. Your focus seems to be really authentic here. You're not just for this cause or for this denomination or for this one church. You seem to really have the right answers. And she begins to answer that. And, and Jesus, look in verse 26, guys. It's an amazing thing that he says in response very short, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. If you look at the actual Greek, remember what God called it? What did God call himself in the Old Testament? I am. That's what he says. That's what Jesus says here. If you look back in the actual structure, Jesus basically says, I am. This is, this is who you're talking to. She's talking to her creator. She's talking to the holy God here. Now look at her response. Verse 28. So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? What begins to happen, guys, is that her life begins to to transform. This lady before, Lone Ranger, she's hiding from the public. And yet she meets the Messiah. We believe with all of our hearts. I believe that this is telling us that, that she really did have an encounter with Christ, that she's put faith in this. She still probably has some questions. Just like 32 years into it, I still have some questions uh, about Christ and God and all these things. And yet her life is transformed. The one that she needs in her life, the Messiah, she had just met. And her life is forever transformed. How do we notice that? Does the Bible say, and that night she got out of that bad relationship and she went over here? No, it doesn't say anything about her morality. It says this one thing. She who was hiding from the public goes right back into town to tell the public, hey, come see this guy that I met. There's no theology involved. In a way, you could even say that there's no morality. Please don't hear that I'm not for morality, okay? Guys, here's what we do. This is what we make church sometimes. Sometimes we make church morality instead of Jesus. Sometimes we make church about a denomination or about this instead of about Jesus. And she comes back and she goes, I just met Jesus. (laughs) And could this be really the Messiah? Look what it says again. Verse 28 and 20. So the woman left her water jar. She left what she was doing and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me, All that I ever did, can this be the Christ? What's the first word in verse 29? Uh, What does that usually mean? To come. (laughs) To follow. I mean, she's inviting. Do do you see the irony of this? I mean, do you see what happened here? This woman who went to get water at the hottest part of the day so she could be what? Alone. Now goes back to the midst of of the very town of the people that murmur and laugh and point and judge. She doesn't have theology. She doesn't have a track. She doesn't have this. She just simply has her story. 
and I met this guy. He talked about living water, and I didn't get this whole living water at first, but then all of a sudden I kind of understood that this was not a normal rabbi, that I was talking to my creator, to, to Christ himself, and my life has changed. Look at the next verse. I'm sorry, go down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? The woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. She went back and said, hey guys, this very thing that I've been trying to hide, that I've had five husbands, that I kind of sleep around a little bit, that I do this, you know, the very thing that I'm ashamed of and that I kind of want to hide from, she went back and actually told the town, hey, I am that woman, and he told me all about it. I didn't even have to kind of disclose any information. He just told me everything about my life. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. And here's the summation, and then we'll go. Verse 42, guys. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Guys, that's, that's what God's call is. That's what he sends us to do. Do you, do you understand what happened here? She goes back into town. The very people that she was judged by, that she was trying to hide from, and, and she goes back and she says, Here's what's happened in my life. And I don't know if it was a visual transformation of her life, uh, of her face. I don't know if it showed physically. But certainly there was something that interested these people that really wouldn't give her the time of day to where they came out and they talked with Jesus. And they said, look, we're so interested in what you're saying. Will you stay a couple more days? He stays two more days. And I love that last verse. We came because of what she said, but we go home transformed because of what he said. That's our job, guys. That's our job. Is it important to learn scripture? Is it important to have theology and all that? I would be the first one to say yes. But what this community needs, what we are sent to do, is to show people transformed lives. And a transformed life, I promise, will speak louder than any theological denominational debate that you ever get into. Because you can have all your theological denominational debates and if you don't have a transformed life modeled like Christ and you don't have Christ-likeness flowing through, people are not going to give you the time of day. They're not looking for religion, guys. You're not looking for religion. You're thirstier than you ever knew that you were. And there's only one place you can get this living water, and he supplies it. And so next time that you you see this call to go out and and to share the gospel, it's not just some plan. It's not just, okay, learn these 14 verses. I'm all for learning all that stuff to equip us because it just makes us that much more sure in our heart. But what they're looking for, does this person really, is there a transformation going on in their life? Is there a change that I can see with my eyes? And, And so my question this morning is, what's your story? Is it a story of transformation? Are you in the process of being transformed to be more and more like Jesus Christ? I mean, that's our goal, 2017, maturity in Christ, Christ Christ-likeness, more and more reflecting him. How does that have to to, to kind of blend in with this whole scent thing and and to be witnesses? More and more, guys, 
as we reflect Christ's likeness in our marriage, in our parenting, in our fellowship one with another, I, I promise you there are people out there that are the Lone Ranger. They walk the walk of shame every single day. They're reminded every day by Satan and everybody else of how they are different. They are thirsty. They are thirsty for people that will sincerely love them, care about them, and direct them to a loving Savior. That's what God calls us to. It's really not that difficult. Jeff, remember that conversation we had about three weeks ago? Jeff deals with a lot of folks that, uh, uh, you're talking about dealing with some folks that kind of want to maybe look at the religious angle or this angle and that. And, and, And Jeff and I were talking over lunch one day and we said, you know, the Christian life is really not that hard. I mean, it's really, it's kind of hard to live out and, and, and sometimes to, 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 to aspire for this morality. But it's really, just follow Christ. I mean, in one way, it's pretty easy, guys. As far as where the motto is and where the goal is, just follow Christ. And this lady did it. And lives were transformed. She's one of my favorites. We never know her name. People have asked me, well, hey, what do you think happened with her? I don't know. I don't know that there was a moral turnaround that very night. I, I really don't know. But if she was with a guy, a woman in that society, you didn't have a lot of options, guys. You really didn't. She may have had to go right back to the relationship that she was in, but inside she was changed. Transformed from the inside out, not from the outside in. That's the transformation that God brings. And if you've got a story like that of how God has transformed your life, I promise you that what people really are thirsty for is knowing that Christ makes a difference, not in those days that you're happy, but when the doctor says you have cancer and you have this rock, this foundation. Not when the husband or wife says, I love you, but when the husband or wife says, I want a divorce. But you have this rock and this foundation. That's the real life that people are living out there. And they need to know that there is something beyond just a bunch of rules and religion that is authentic. And there is. His name is Jesus. And he will totally transform your life. Minute by minute, second by second, thought by thought, he'll transform you from the inside out. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we look at this story and it's really quite simple. Father, we see this lady that is ostracized in in, in every way possible by her community. And yet, Father, when she has this living encounter with you, Father, with your son, then all of a sudden, Father, her life is transformed and she becomes this instant witnessing person, this evangelist that goes back to the very people that had judged her and scorned her and, and she offers them hope. Father, will you help us to be a little bit more like that? That, Father, that we would examine our lives and, and we would see, where, what is our story? What transformation has Christ made in our hearts and our minds? And, Father, I do pray that that transformation comes through. Father, I pray that I am a better husband because I'm a Christ follower, I, that I'm a better father because I follow after your son. And that that transformation, Father, would be a witness of your greatness, not my morality. So, Father, we praise you. We thank you today that you are the one that transformed. You're the only one that transformed. 
And Father, we pray that we would have opportunity, even this week, just to share our story. In the same way that we came thirsty to you, Father, that we would be able to share the living water and the hope of the gospel with somebody this week. Father, all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.